through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit face McRat. <laughs> It's high noon. You guys are listening to the AltaCast here on MutinyRadio.fm. Every Wednesday from high noon to 2 p.m. Exciting news today. We have, as always, Victoria the Sheriff of Truth. Good morning. But we have her cousin. We have more truthers. We have more sheriffs of truth. In the house, in the hizzy, we are joined by D, uh, out of I'm assuming Missouri. I'm guessing. She she lives in the state of Indiana. Indiana, close to Missouri. Very in close. Missouri. She's Good a stuff. cousin that's from uh, Alaska. Oh, Alaska. There are black people in Alaska. Didn't know that. She's going to be silent for a moment. Oh, okay, that's cool. We'll break, we'll break down. Uh, Sorry, she will talk. We've uh, we're going to start out as we do on the AltaCast uh, because. Boy, do we love drugs. With uh, the Drug Policy Alliance, Drug Policy Minute, which is usually more than a minute, brought to you by Drug Policy Alliance. Go to drugpolicy.org and uh, go to them on Facebook and like them. And they're just uh, lovely, changing the world. Uh, Got the first time in uh, the history of... DEA history of them schedule one emergency schedule wanting a drug and then repealing it for a time of public opinion and that's going to be happening until December 16th so uh, but this is the drug policy minute here drugs uh, and so uh, what we have going on a couple different things first our insider Melissa Moore says hey uh Wanted to get this over to you because tomorrow's going to be super hectic. We're putting on an all-day conference called White Faces, Black Lives, Race, and Reparative Justice in the Era of a Gentler War on Drugs. And then she said, hey, do you, do you, I'll give you some video if you want it. Please, um, thank you. But uh, this is, it's happening October 19th. It's, it's today, right? Yeah. Right. So it's happening today. We can you can watch the live stream. Uh, it's White Faces, Black Lives, The Color of Pain. Org is uh, who they're working with and what this is about. And uh, it's uh, an all-day conference happening in New York. So except exciting stuff. In October 2015, the New York Times published in Heroin Crisis: White Families Seek Gentler War on Drugs, which noted. <laughs> So I love it's the fact so you're funny. laughing at it. I'm sorry. Well, because it's so funny. <laughs> because when crack was an epidemic, oh, lock yeah. them up. 
lock him up but now it's the opposite like they my poor baby needs help yeah and and well when the white people need help everybody that's the funny thing about it is so in heroin crisis white families seek gentler war on drugs which noted as other commentators have that the white face of the current opioid crisis has engendered a different set of responses than the past drug epidemics that were seen as affecting largely black and or latino communities historically when a drug problem is seen uh, as affecting primarily black and brown communities, government intervention focuses on law enforcement. Over the past 40 years, this has resulted in the incarceration of a massive, unprecedented number of people, primarily of color, and more and more observers have noticed that it has only been since the complexion of people perceived to use the drugs changed that the compassionate and health-based interventions gained favor over criminalization in popular media and among policymakers. It's exciting that people are finally thinking and talking about this yeah, kind of stuff. It takes it's white people to <laughs> make change. <laughs> Thanks, Barack. Uh, how is race linked to these policy changes? And how can we acknowledge and atone for the past harms done to communities of color even as we look toward a more compassionate public health oriented response? How can we ensure that all communities benefit from these policy changes and the resources that follow them? Ah, the money. Uh, what is reparative justice? And what is the connection to the drug war? How can a framework of reparative justice help us move forward so that we are reducing both the harms associated with drug use and the harms wrought by our drug policies, past and present? Who should lead the conversation about repairing the harms of the drug war? These are the kinds of questions we will explore during this symposium, which will have a particular focus on the drug war in black communities. Well, I'm excited because this means we're going to have stuff for next week that we can talk about because oh, they're going to have it all there, which is, since it's happening today... Uh, so here, here are some of the talks. There was one last night, and we'll see what people are doing. This was last night at 6.30, Centering Black Voices in Drug Policy, Past, Present, and Future. And uh, on the panel were Jasmine Tyler, was the moderator from Open Society Foundation, Donna Murch from Rutgers University, Marbus Statley-Butts, Movement for Black Lives, Samuel Roberts, Columbia University, University, Terrell Jones from the New York Harm Reduction Educators, and Vivian Nixon, a College of Community Fellowship. And this is what it was about last night. Much has been written about the drug war and its effects on black communities. Scholars have analyzed the impact on families, neighborhoods, and institutions. Too often, this scholarship uh, and dialogues about the drug war leave out the perspective of communities of people directly affected. For example, some have argued that the drug war has done under the watch of a supportive black community. Oh. Uh, was done under the watch of a supportive black community. Others have noted a long time, a long tradition of harm reduction and resistance to the war on drugs within black communities. On this panel, black scholars, leaders, and community members will discuss who should lead the conversation about repairing the harms of the drug war. What was the black community response throughout the drug war? And what is the role of elected officials of color what is the community's response to harm reduction? What is the role of the black community today? I mean, smart stuff. It's, I'm glad people are talking about it. No, I mean, this is how you break down things by talking about it and knowing the fact that there, there, 
the war on drugs was actually a lie and it was basically to incarcerate people of color and when, you know as many times as we went over it oh you know talking about the nixon administration and that's the administration that created the war on drugs and the dea right you know the fact of the matter is like it, it unfortunately it took this long for another community to realize like hey this is wrong we get you now well so uh, reparations (laughs) i want to talk about reparations because how do we repair the war so the first thing to do would be to let people out of jail right yeah okay well the first thing is to give me some money from my ancestors when reparations right well and that's the thing is so and if we're it goes i mean how far and and what would the what would reparations look like I, i mean the Japanese we, got a check. Well, they got a check, but was it worth it? was like 10 grand. Yeah. And when they took away their, you know, homes and... The indigenous uh, people ain't getting shit either. Well, right, but that's yeah. the thing. So now, but they have the, they have, they have the opportunity to do the, um, the casinos. And so there's like financial gain there, but... Look what's going on in North Dakota. What, what is, is there, are they, are there huge? Oh no, the pipeline. They're trying to put the pipeline in sacred ground, which is indigenous Whoa. ground. And that is their, and you know. But nobody cares about that anymore. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm trying to be, but no, seriously, like. I'm gonna stab you. No, no, but what I mean by that is like, we've already. I think the thing is acknowledgement. I yeah. think that is like one of the most important reparations but, is acknowledgement. But what would you want it to look like? Should we, I mean, a holiday. Should we have a holiday? No. But that's no. not even enough. Like I, we no. have a black month. I'm just wondering what is even. I, I think, honestly, I know for me, per se, I don't need a check. I just want acknowledgement of the fact that there's been so much bloodshed and how this country was built. And the thing is, you know, it's not just people of color. It's more of classism. And here in this country, we don't talk about classism. And the thing is... I was reading in in the book, um, I've been reading uh, The New Jim Crow, it talks about the fact that there was a base that put the poor whites against the blacks and what have you, when there was a point in time when they were working together because of a certain class, because of the class, the hierarchy of class and what have you. And I think the acknowledgement of our history and the truth okay but i still want to know what it looks like do we have a do we have a class that's taught in schools now that's called like black history do we do we yeah in february right but not just <laughs> right not just february but that's the thing is the month is not i just i don't even know what reparations could conceptually look like and I, because it, it's I, more than a check i can tell you right and but that's the thing is if they break it down to a check can could we actually could the government afford it? I'm sure they could. No, we, they could. But I think, again... But it, will that erase... But that doesn't necessarily erase it. That, I mean, it that doesn't says, erase... I mean, the thing is, it's acknowledgement of your history it. is one of the most important things, and especially what's going on right now, where people want to erase... Uh, parts of history and you even have textbooks that are they're not even calling it slavery anymore or excuse me the uh, uh, you know people are trying to erase history which you know it's easy to do when children don't read exactly it's really easy to erase history when no one reads the books yeah yeah I mean you have so much going on you know with pop culture and everything else it's just like why would so are reparations happening then in little bits because in pop culture no is I mean if if you look at the look at I'd be interested in the the racial skew of Hollywood and and of not just Hollywood but like of 
stars right now. But I guess it depends if you're looking at TMZ or if you're looking at people. Like, because people skews white, right? Uh, and yeah. TMZ I mean, skews black. I don't, I don't pay attention to any of it, so I, I think, don't know. You know, reparations to me, and you know, you and to me, it's again, it's just acknowledgement. It's, but what does that acknowledgement look like? Is it like, is it like a bunch of, is it like? Um, Okay, a bunch so of big white guys get in a room <laughs> and like Donald Trump goes like says you know what I I have been racist and I I have been this or wh whoever like is it it's an intervention it's an intervention <laughs> it's an intervention yeah and a it, political it's, intervention it's like okay poor Hiplo it's the fact that I'll go to the 1994 crime bill that was signed because of the drug war, and a lot of black senators did sign this bill back in 1994, um, and now, you know, 23 years later, or excuse me, 22 years later, you know, Hillary Clinton admitted the fact, I'm sorry, this was wrong, you know, the three strikes law, oh God. It, you know, it what we did the acknowledge the fact that they're acknowledging that your wrongdoing what you did destroyed families and destroyed a whole community that right there is acknowledgement it, it's your intervention of like oh wow i fucked up but it's also a little bit of pandering as well here's the thing first we got to let people out of jail that have been jailed for things that they shouldn't have been jailed for small minimal crime or a drug all the, the war on drugs and, and how it's destroyed families. And that, I mean, I think that that's the start, right? Is first we let a bunch of people out of jail. And then you, those are the first people that I would monetize reparations to in so far as, God, you know, well, what I is a year, what is a year of your life worth? Like, I know it, what does it cost? 70 grand to incarcerate someone or yeah. something? So, would, I mean, 70 grand a year? For every year they were wrongfully incarcerated, is that enough? But that's not. I mean, I think getting, getting, you know, the fact of like letting them be able to vote again—that's big. Have, yeah, that having that voice in government, as well as erasing that, you know, misdemeanor or excuse me, that felony off, right, right, which will help you, you know, get a job. But is it fair yeah. that no but see that's the thing is they, they lost their they lost their ability to be a wage earner so do you calculate the reparations by how much money they would have made depending on the job they would have got like so let's say they had a high school education before they were wrongfully incarcerated what was the amount you know would you take minimum wage as a full-time job and then multiply like I, I'm I wonder how the it's, I'm just wondering and will that ever happen or will people be so happy that they're out of jail that they're like whatever do we have to sue the government to say that you took away my wage earning years away from my family that stayed at home and you changed, fundamentally changed our lives? For the wrong. Right. Wrongfully incarcerating or creating policies to more easily incarcerate people and wrongfully, et cetera, et cetera. Um. Is it, I mean, and is that enough? Let's say, let's say, let's. Just say it was thirty-five thousand. Let's say that thirty-five thousand a year, and they were in for ten years. So that's three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And I think they should get it tax-free as well. But is that enough? If you is, came, just think like, 
I would, I don't know. You answer. If I you were wrongfully incarcerated for 10 years. I don't think, I don't think it's enough because you, t- you took away part of my life. You, for no apparent reason, it's injustice. Yeah. And it's, the thing is you can never get that time back right. with a check. And again, it's very, it's very important to acknowledge the fact of your wrong, of your wrongdoing. Right. And then a check. And, um, right. Well, and, that's the, and is that an American thing specifically that oh. we want the check? Because money kind of does soothe the savage beast, right? Yeah. But, I mean, I mean, we love money and especially if you've never had it. Right. Um, but no, I think it's kind of universal, you know, in a way. I mean, with when it comes to like money, you know, being some kind of great reward. But here, I, I feel like people of color, it, it's, it's not just about money for us. It isn't. It's beyond. The wounds are too deep that no check could band-aid those wounds. And the wounds continue to be opened because of uh, the public lynchings that we get to see. Oh, there, yeah. Were there any, were there any this week? Uh, actually, any young black children um, shot in the streets for no reason? Well, so <laughs> every week, this, this I mean, week, I don't mean to chuckle about it. It's awful. It's it, like, it's the thing is, it's just like, it's becoming a theme and you know, people are like, oh my gosh, what we should do on to the next one, but there's nothing being done. Right. And so this is what's really pissing me off. And I, and I, I had a moment last night where I, I wanted to like burn some shit because I had a little racist moment on my way home. Oh no. Yeah. Um, leaving the marina and oh wait oh wait by the way found one a man killed by michigan police wasn't targeting them cops say so this is uh this is yesterday yesterday all right so i guess i i won't talk about i mean i'll just plug this in and let people listen because i'm tired of talking i'm ready (laughs) i'm actually ready to burn some shit down myself Burn it down. Burn, I'm ready to like start some shit. Let's I'm make not sure there's kidding. no commercial press play. Yeah, we don't like to give. We don't like, we don't like to give them the commercial time. You guys are listening to the Altacast here on MutinyRadio.fm. I am joined by Latoya, the Sheriff of Truth, Win. We're gonna hear about the most recent uh, public lynching. That's what we actually call police brutality shootings uh, here on the Altacast. Because that's what they're doing. <laughs> no trial, no jury, just shoot them when they're unarmed. For some reason, my friend. For all kinds, it's what well, she's looking it up. Uh, so, the, the, so Melissa, our, our drug policy insider, sent us uh, the the things that are happening today are uh, a framework for reparative justice. What is it, and what could it look like? <laughs> Does the movement for Black Lives Matter in the kinder, gentler drug war era provide a space to reconstruct a moral relationship between communities of color and government? I mean. <laughs> I'm so glad that people are sitting down and, t- I mean, it's, brainstorming to try to bring it. It's it's pervasive now you know, all of our is, media. It's just so late in the game. It really is. We, we, we were telling people this back in the 1980s during the great Reagan era, as people like to talk about it. And Reagan was an asshole, okay? There's nothing great about that old delusional motherfucker. And yes, I can say motherfucker Absolutely. here. Absolutely. Because he is the one that imposed even more on the war on drugs and that just say no Nancy Reagan bullshit that I actually drank the Kool-Aid as a kid and believed in and my dare officer they dare could you officer, know yeah. they 
it just really I, I'm glad that people are having the conversation but well we have to have conversations with our kids because but, we know that abstinence is not affected neither in sex nor in uh, substances that exist and are pervasive in our society like alcohol is a thing that's a drug that people alcohol it's the worst one of all it's the worst and I'm the one that slings the drinks it's the worst one of all uh, and we're we're, we're changing I mean people are changing the way they feel about certain drugs although I have to tell you I'm very very upset with that new dance move that the girls are doing the dabs and when a 10 year old pretends to cough into their arm because they're doing a dance move and you say what's that dance called and they go dabs and I'm like what does that mean because I want to know if they know what it means because <laughs> I clearly know what dabs are and they're like you know that marijuana smoking thing and I'm like why does a 10 year old know what dabs are and why are they doing the dance get the juicy writ off their ass and off those weird sweatpants put them <laughs> in a chastity belt immediately and okay uh, is New York ready to atone for the devastation and the war on drugs and its role in leading the country in its punitive drug policies that result in racial disparities? We've talk- they already talked about that this morning. That's exciting. Uh, differential responses, a war on drug for some. Uh, the policy responses following the recent heroin and prescription opioid epidemic in a largely white suburban communities has brought to attention the stark contrasts in how drug addiction and overdose was addressed in the 60s and 70s when it primarily affected communities of color. Unlike the war on drugs approach then, which entailed increased policing and policing and criminalization, policies addressing the same crisis today invoke a distinctly... Uh, a public health response termed by the media as a kinder, gentler approach. This panel will explore both the ways in which the war on drugs has harmed communities of color as well as how the current responses to the white opioid crisis Such is different. Such black and white for real. Right? It is. Well, and then, and that's the thing, well, that's the whole Kratom thing as well, is that it's, uh, I'm glad it's not going to be banned, but it's because it's great for opioid addiction, yeah. know, you know, so. You know where I got my drugs from when I was in high school? The mm-hmm. white kids. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I, I just found didn't it. do it. Did you find it? Okay, I cool. I finally found it. Uh, I didn't. I didn't do drugs in high school. I wasn't cool enough. Oh, here we go. Police department, which investigates. Do say shows exactly what went down on Pavone Street early this morning. Now, here is what we do know right now. This man, who you see here, Darius Wimbley, was shot and killed by officers. Relatives identifying him to Fox 17, but they say he never had a gun on him and he never shot at officers. Police say that they were here on Pavone Street this morning at around 2 o'clock. They were there, they say, only because they had received reports someone was being held up inside of a home by a person with a gun. Well, it turns out the people at that home say they never called police and there was no holdup. But when officers stepped out of that home, that is when they say several shots were fired in their direction, they say, by Wimberley. Police shot back with at least one officer hitting and killing Wimberley, and the police chief this morning cautioning the community did not rush to judgment in this situation. By no means will we stand here and say we're perfect, that there's nothing that's ever happened, that you have no reason to have any feelings towards us. We understand things that happened in the past. We're trying to move forward to have better relationships. It happened yesterday. The past. 
and that in reference to uh, what is animosity that still very much exists between police and this some parts Harbor, of the community Michigan. in Benton Harbor. We mentioned that street Pavone. If that sounds familiar, well, that is because it very much is. It is also the same street where a black man was killed 13 years ago riding his motorcycle while being chased by police. And it is that very street that served as the epicenter for days of widespread and devastating riots that followed in Benton Harbor in June of 2003. Now, wow. as for the case here today, uh, it is unclear whether police officers were actually targeted by this gunman. Uh, officers There's said no that Wilbur guns. does not have a, a criminal record, had two guns on him uh, when they shot and killed him, but say that he may have been actually targeting people inside the home where they were at. The officer, meantime, who shot him is on administrative leave. We're live in the newsroom this afternoon. Josh Thorowitz, Fox 7. See, this is why the Second Amendment does not mean shit to us. <laughs> well, it's just an excuse to shoot people because they might or might not have a gun. Yeah, and you know, what if they didn't even say, like, if he had a permit, if he did have a gun, if he had a permit or not, because we're not allowed to have guns because only white people can have that. Uh, it's unbelievable that this is just a daily occurrence now and that that news reporter or that the chief of police would say we've done things in the past you killed somebody yesterday what are you talking about the past okay fine you're talking about 2003 and it happened but it happened yes you shot an unarmed man and it's uh, don't jump don't jump to conclusion it's kind of hard not to it's kind of hard right. not to jump to conclusion when this keeps going on and nothing else is being done about it. You know, we're and here. it's nationwide. It's, it's happening. Nationwide. It's it's all over the place. Like we'll we'll get another one today. You know, it's you know we'll get another one today and we'll get another one tomorrow and then the day after that the day and, and when does it and when will when does it end? Will, but the thing is would reparations would re what is the reparative work that's needed to make it stop because things this thing that's happening in the new york and with the the symposium here the color of pain and um their conference on center the conversation at least there is happening white faces black lives but how they're they're going to be talking about it but where is the the trickle down which is the wrong way to put it but when does it change everybody's life because we live in San Francisco, and it's a very, bu it's a bubble, I know, and I can be a socialist, and it's not a scary thing. It's a and fake ass liberal bubble. There's a lot, there's a f lot of fake ass liberalism, there's a lot of people with money. It's easy to be liberal when you have money, too. I mean, I'm a yeah. poor person, but I'm like a rich poor person, obviously, because I live I in the I love the blacks, but city. just keep them away from me. <laughs> well, the <laughs> that's what it's I don't, like here. Today. I don't see, but. <sighs> fake ass I'm liberals. trying not, I. I grew up mad, seeing sorry. color, but I don't consider myself a person that like sees, they try to say, be scared of uh, black dudes. I, I think that that's what the media is trying to portray. Yeah, and every time, every way. time you watch the news and something happens and they show the watch picture Earth of a black of a man and he looks, he has a hoodie on or looks scary and dark. And it's, we're perpetuating this fear. But where, I mean, where, what repairs need to be made so that people see a nice young gentleman on the street and they don't say, and they say, what a nice young gentleman on the street, instead of what a... What a criminal? Right. Or clutch your purse really tight? Right, right, like... Because that's what the media and what have you, I mean, it started, I mean, it's nothing new, and we're, we're used to it, but we don't like it. But, but I think and things are changing because, look at Disney Channel, you've got... 
Casey Undercover. It's a black family. I mean, it's only one, but they have. There's a show with a, a best friend who's an Asian, who's an Asian persuasion, and that's like, <laughs> wow, like I an mean, Asian, will, a child star on Disney. That's like, that's like, wow. So, I will say, like, representation has gotten a little bit better. Yes but there's still a lot of work to be done because now i mean it's not just about black people here in america it's about brown people because and and you know uh middle easterns who are getting it too right and right. you know uh-oh. oh if it's sweet, it's sweet yeah, I, mean, I can check but to keep talking and i'll see um but you still have people that live in my home state who feel that same way of hatred and especially now with what's going on with our election that spear of like let's not take responsibility let's blame the latinos and the muslims and and the blacks and the homosexuals you know it's it's like a it's and the women and the women oh yeah because we like to grab them by the pussy yeah uh it's so easy you know you can get a laugh on it on stage so easily really it, yeah i mean i did, did i did one. some cat i've just i just i did some cat jokes and then i just threw in i i mixed them together and uh people were they were they loved it last night at amnesia i was being very political <laughs> and uh they didn't have a they didn't have a problem with it because it's it's he's such an easy target at this point it's oh, like it's... shooting ducks in a barrel <laughs> i would but... why why would you want to shoot ducks in a barrel i mean they're delicious <laughs> but like I don't know. I don't want to shoot a duck. I think, you know, with the political climate of what, you know, we're living in right now, which is kind of like history repeating itself over again, which I feel, um, you have to talk to people who aren't around people of color or who who aren't around people of any difference. Or who aren't around, yeah, people. I mean, the suburbs, everything is very spread. I don't remember what it's like to live that way. But, it, I mean, it's very isolating. It's very isolating. And the fact that, you know, the fear that the media puts out as, like, be scared of the black and brown people, who criminals, you know, that fear of, like, they're the boogeyman, we're the boogeyman, you know, is still, you know, in our society, in those communities. As for, like, we at least here in this, you know, in San Francisco, or if you live in Chicago or New York, you, you're around people of a difference every day. But, you know, there are many places, the place I grew up in, Springfield, Missouri, weren't too many people of color, you know, and I'm sure there's a bunch of Trump supporters down there because they don't know, they don't travel. I don't think he has any supporters left. I think it's starting to- Oh no, um, he does. It's starting to sort of uh, taper off. What would you say, dear? Oh, here we go. Would you, would you put opinion on that? Uh, would you say our f- former home state, would you say there are a bunch of Trump supporters there? I would say there are some. Yeah. Yeah. I'm scared of them. Uh, <laughs> this you. is race and social movements learning from the past and looking forward to the future. So here we go. You were just talking about the past with increased acknowledgement that punitive drug bar policies do more harm than good. Some have suggested that putting forth a white face of addiction is more strategic to garner sympathy for a public health approach to drug use and misuse and gain resources for communities in need. Others argue that this is fundamentally flawed tactic doomed to failure. We'll look at the social, other social movements that have adopted that strategy and measure the effects on communities of color and white communities. What movement strategies create equitable access to resources, service, and treatment for communities of color? I mean, that's funny, putting a white face on it. Like, yeah. is it going to be effective? Yeah. Is it the best way to do it? No. Probably 
not. It's you like, know, it's look over game. here, look over here. Yeah. Playing the game. It's saying that we believe in politics. We know how to get it done. If you want something done, you gotta play show, the game. you gotta show the little blonde 15-year-old shooting Strung heroin, yeah. you know, and being <laughs> like, dumb. yeah, you gotta show this cute little 15-year-old girl, like, with the little blonde hair, pigtails, and the big blue eyes, and, Don't and she's got a white woman. She's got a needle in her arm, and she's has in the, her other arm. She's looking at a newspaper thing, and they're circled on it like you can be a porn star. You know what I mean? Like if they if that becomes the new face of the heroin addiction is like the 15 year old blonde, blue eyed girl who's like. I'm gonna go suck cock for drugs. Like that's definitely. <laughs> she needs help. She needs help. <laughs> hey, I love I love intervention. Uh, I actually love I I do watch that show because it makes me feel better about myself. Absolutely, absolutely. It does. Lessons from other movements for reparative justice. Repairing the drug wars harms on people of color requires targeted and intentional policy. Can we envision policy solutions that will not only repair the harms of the drug war, but address the root causes of problems in addition to disrupting the structural tendency to replace revoked policies with new criminalization policies? Which tools can policymakers use to counter the decades of systematic harm related to the drug war? And what are the lessons we can learn from other, e.g. international historical reparative justice movements? Make drugs legal. Well, Just I like think that's a, good, that's a good start. But right. that won't happen here in our lifetime. I, I don't know. I mean... I mean, at least marijuana will be uh, legal in our lifetime. I know that will happen. Well, I, th- I mean, hopefully it's going to happen for California, um, for Proposition 64, 64 to get passed. Now, it's and, going to. But now, and it's interesting because it means that the voice of the people, the people buying marijuana, want legal access. The only people that are super, super bummed are the growers. All the growers, all the the people. That's just selfishness. But no, as is every single time, the farmers are the ones that get fucked. You know, like we have all this access to food and all this access, but the farmers are always the ones that they. But we are in. You know, we've talked about this before, and we're in a drought. Yeah, yeah. And we have to. I mean. The growers aren't going to get legal. That's the thing. This is how the criminalization is going to change. Proposition 64 is going to go through. Everyone's going to be stoked who's buying weed wherever they want. The people retailing the weed are going to make a lot of money, but the price of the actual weed will go down, which will hurt the farmers. It's going to bum them out if they have to pay for their own water and everything. So what's going to happen is they're going to make this new thing, the Bureau of Marijuana, and it's going to be their job to police and find these illegal grow-ups. That's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to take all of the money, that they were putting in trying to criminalize the drug users and they're going to put it into the people that don't want to legally do it because they don't want to abide by the regulations because they're afraid of losing money or not making as much money as they're currently making. Yeah. Because other people are going to start be make, making more money. So I understand where they're coming from, but I also agree that water issues water issues and the fact that less people will be incarcerated right no i mean and it's, it's absolutely but they're going to be the ones that are screwed financially and and what's going to happen is if they don't jump on board they're going to be the new criminals i'm telling you that's well, exactly start how selling gonna, coke <laughs> <laughs> coca leaves <laughs> yeah but proposition 64 is going to oh i have a sticker for you for proposition 60 yeah um 
This is so funny. I met Amnesia last night, uh, and I went way too early. I thought the show was at 6.30. It was at 7.30, and it didn't even start till anyways. So I'm there drinking expensive beers because it used to be cheap, and now, like, I spent a lot of money there last night. <laughs> anyways, and I performed. I didn't even get a free drink. But it was a great show, and I did have a really good time. Anyways, it's kind of bougie. So <laughs> sitting down the bar as I'm waiting there and just hanging out with the bartender and these uh, two cool guys are these two um, young Asian ladies that, uh, you know, probably make a lot of money anyways one of them turns to the guy next to them and he's, he's he's an attractive gentleman he and I ended up talking about science fiction short story writers but and she asks him what are you gonna vote on prop 60 it's like the porn bell what oh. do you think and um he was like huh <laughs> and I'm like laughing and uh, and she's like, oh, it's the thing about should porn stars use condoms or not use condoms. But she didn't say her view. And he was like, I didn't even know it was a bill. So then later I talked with Sergeant Joe about something, and I was you like, schooled him on what it was. Well, no, I I said uh, I said, hey man, it's a great opening line. I said you should use that on ladies this week and walk up to them. It's a great way to also kind of know where they're coming from. Exactly. And so you can <laughs> go up to them and be like, hey, what do you feel about Prop 60? Are you like, condoms for porn stars or not? What do you feel about it? Are you a moralistic prude face or do you, you know what I mean? So, I mean, he's like, well, what do you think about it? I said, you know what? I'm not even going to vote on it. Don't watch porn. Don't care. Don't know. Don't care. It's the same thing. Like, I don't feel like guys should have to, should have the opportunity to vote on like abortion or something because they can't do it. Doesn't matter. They, it's none of their business. It's none of their never mind. Yeah. You don't have to have it done. You don't do it. That, that's nothing. But that's the thing is I don't watch porn. I've never had. I don't have a problem if people do. And so don't know, don't care. But if I did care, I say this. Why the fuck do you want to? It's fantasy, okay? <laughs> now the problem is, well, little boys have access on their iPhones to all the porn in the world. Now, well, then you're a bad parent. <laughs> okay, don't change the porn industry because you are a lazy parent. Because you don't know how to police your child on the device. You give, don't give them the device. Take away the device. Don't give them internet time. Or put safeties on your internet. Or teach them to be a responsible person that doesn't do that yet because it's not appropriate for their age. So the whole thing is pointless and moot. Why are you going to... If you're an 18-year-old, if you're even, if you're a 16-year-old dude, go ahead, watch porn, because you gonna your brain like the average you know ch teenage boy thinks about sex like 700 times a day. It's some it's some ridiculous number, or maybe it's 7,000. It's some insane number. It's just like all that stuff's going through their body, and there's blah blah blah. It is not the government's moralistic right like rectitude that needs to solve the issue of porn it's you know ra how about raise your son right so that he doesn't devalue women so well if they don't use condoms then how do our kids learn to have condoms because you talk to them about sex you stupid lazy parents i think that's the wrong reason to have you know if that is the case of the proposition like for health reasons i can understand you know, but also a lot of, you know, a lot of porn companies, they do give, they have to do a STD test in order to and film. And that is on the constant. I had a friend that used to do adult films. So, so then this is know. an unnecessary law. If you were get putting in a law about public health and porn and having them tested every two weeks and blah, 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 and safety issues, that I would vote for. But the use of condoms in this bill is 
specifically like the moral Christian right saying like, ooh, it's, let's wean our way into the porn industry. It's, it's, it's actually, I think, a little bit of the ultra-liberalism that's going on. The very ultra-ultra, just like a little bit, you know, it, it's... Porn shouldn't be the teacher of our children to put condoms on. <laughs> we should be the teachers of our children Use to put condoms birth control like but the thing is that it's it's a it's fantasy it's a movie thing it's like it's so now in like softcore porn when there's not even any um penetration before they fake their little rubbing against each other and touch each other's boobies or whatever and they've got like those weird little band-aids on that they make them wear so there can't actually be penetration now in that kind of fake fantasy world do they have to put condoms on because that's what they're saying see that's the thing it's not about safety it's not about penetration and safety it's actually none of our business actually i mean if you do watch porn you know which i do uh, there you go (laughs) i mean it, it I, we talked about this, and I was like thinking about it because, like, from a health, public health standpoint, I understand. But again, they get tested. But it's not. It's. I mean, I think putting ourselves in an, because uh, porn is entertainment. Putting ourselves in, in the entertainment industry and putting a law on something is kind of a way of, you know, kind of starting to invade a little bit of what our first amendment rights are in a way you know and kind of like i don't want to say a right for privacy but it's not everyone watches it i don't think it should be on the bill i really I, don't I think i really I don't care something we're voting i think it's <laughs> i think there are more issues important rather than like should porn stars wear condoms when they are filming right you know it, it's it's yeah. one of those none of your business kind of things to me yeah that's what it, that's what it feels like to me it's just like abortion it's like it's none of your business yeah. so why is this don't, why yeah. is this some kind Can't of do bill? it don't, don't don't you shouldn't have to vote on it yeah uh okay so here <laughs> is we're gonna we'll finish up the uh We'll finish up the our, our drug movement uh, minute porn, here. Porn to drugs. Uh, so far, so good. What we know about marijuana legalization in Colorado, Washington, Alaska, Oregon, and Washington, D.C. Uh, in 2012, Colorado and Washington became the first two U.S. states and the first two jurisdictions in the world to approve ending marijuana prohibition and legally regulating marijuana production, distribution, and sales. In the 2014 election, Alaska and Oregon followed suit while Washington, D.C. passed a more limited measure that legalized possession and home cultivation of marijuana but did not address its taxation and sale due to D.C. law. The keys... The report's key findings include marijuana arrests have plummeted in the states that legalized marijuana, although disproportionate enforcement of marijuana crimes against black people continue. Statewide surveys of youth in Colorado, Washington, Alaska, and Oregon found that there were no significant increases in youth marijuana use post-legalization. Tax revenues in Colorado, Washington, and Oregon have all exceeded initial revenue estimates totaling 552 million legalization has not led to more dangerous road conditions as traffic fatality rates have remained stable in colorado washington alaska and oregon so far so good uh 
and then they have the actual report, which you guys can take a, uh, a peek at that was put together by the Drug Policy Alliance in Oakland. Um, but so that's, that's great. That means, hey, don't, don't freak out. <laughs> don't freak out, California. It's going to be okay. Everything's so far so good. Because we, I mean, come on. 1996 was, California was the first state to have medicinal marijuana use at night. That's 20 years ago. Right. Isn't that crazy? That's 20 years ago. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is like, we are, I, I know the state is going to vote yes on Prop 64. It's just, it's just a, it's going to happen. You know, it, it's, I think it's a beautiful thing. I, yeah, I, I, really I agree. It, it only helps. I mean, I feel like, gosh, and I have, I have money to invest. I just don't know where or how I do it. I need to get with the right group of people. But I feel like my, all of my skills that I've gleaned over the years in my life are finally coming to fruition so that I can own my own pot bakery. I envision my bread dough being made and frozen and hopefully maybe sold at Trader Joe's someday. The pot, bread dough, you just put it on the counter, you let it, you know, for 20 minutes, let it get to room temperature, put on all your toppings, throw it in the oven. Makes incredible, like it's, okay, but wow, it's strong. You know, it's like a pizza for like eight people, right? So everyone gets one slice of pizza and you get super high, but it's also delicious. But I just absolutely know that people would probably. Your Rice Krispie treats are delicious. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, But I'm telling you to do the bakery, I would make pot apple fritters. I would make pumpkin pot ice cream, selling it in the tubs. And then the the cookie dough that you take home and bake at your leisure, putting them in little ice cream containers. Yeah. And the thing is, and it's not about just getting stoned and like some kind you know it, it's actually for health benefits for those who are sick that and getting stoned i love being stoned there's nothing wrong with oh, being no. stoned all the time oh, well yeah I've, i'm kind of stoned right I now i love i love <laughs> marijuana so much yeah but i mean the fact of the matter is just like it's a health benefit you know for those it's who, a mental health benefit it's a mental, yeah well, yeah but I mean, it helps with like cramps. It helps for cancer patients who are in pain. It helps for seizures. It, I mean, there's just so many pluses about and, it. And, and this... especially to have edibles like that, that will help that go into the system quicker than smoking it. Well, definitely. So uh, this is a sad, sad uh, article from uh, Mary Jane. It's discount tire contributes 1 million to anti-marijuana campaign. Arizona's richest man attempts to leave a skid mark on Proposition 205. Uh, With less than a month to go before Arizona voters hit the polls to decide whether or not the state should legalize marijuana for recreational use, campaign finance records show that opposing forces are spending millions of dollars in hopes of stopping the initiative dead in its tracks. Most the most recent contribution intended to keep voters from siding with the concept of a fully legal cannabis trade was made by Scottsdale-based Discount Tire Company, which recently gave a whopping $1 million to the pot-hating Arizonans for responsible drug policy. According to a report from the Phoenix Business Journal, Discount Tire operates over 900 stores over the United States, and it is the largest privately held company in the state of Arizona. The company is a leading sponsor in the motorsports community, recently signing on its for its seventh season as the primary backer of NASCAR's Team Penske. 
While it is not c- is certain exactly what Discount Tire hopes to gain by helping to foil Proposition 205, a ballot measure seeking to establish a taxed and regulated cannabis industry similar to what's currently underway in Colorado, the company's donation is undoubtedly one of the largest to find its way into the coffers of the num- uh, no on 205 campaign. Interestingly, Discount Tire founder Bruce Halley is the richest man in Arizona. According to the Phoenix New Times and Forbes magazine, has ranked him as the 76th richest person in the United States. Earlier this year, Halley was criticized after a Discount Tire location posted signs showing support for the re-election of Sheriff Joe Arpaio, America's toughest sheriff, who is known for racial profiling and for operating jails that have been deemed unconstitutional. Last year, Sheriff Apayo announced that his department was getting tough on Maricopa's drug Maricopa County's drug problem through the launch of Operation No Drug Bust Too Small. The goal of this mission, according to Arpaio, was to rid the streets of all illegal drugs from marijuana to heroin. And although the Arizonans for Responsible Drug Policy believe Proposition 205 would cause major public safety risks and endanger kids, a recent analysis from the Drug Policy Alliance show those fears are more likely rooted in reefer madness mentality. And the report, which was published last week, suggests that while it is too early to draw any line in the sand conclusion about the effects of marijuana legalization in all evidence at this point uh, shows that legal weed is working yeah they, they're just mad because they can't lock up any black and brown people That's well what it is. everybody boycott discount tire i, I mean Please. i don't have a car so i boycott caught all tires and <laughs> I, I, go to costco to get your tires all right <laughs> don't go to discount tire so wait your parents live in arizona My correct parents live in arizona yeah and Have they don't. You, they don't really. They don't like. They don't like uh, weed. They don't. They're not into it. They. They'll probably vote no. It, but it's. Uh, it's so dumb to vote no because the the tax benefits available to the state are enormous. Right. Uh, but a lot of I mean, old people could, live in Arizona, so a lot of old people smoke weed. I mean, a lot of old hippies, you know. Exactly, and but that's the thing. Parents. That's why you know it, it's funny to me. Like I, I mean, I think it. I think that proposition is. You know, I think they're going. They're, they're going to get the legalization of marijuana you know it's because the factor is like the baby boom generation who are those who did smoke back in the 60s yeah. you know who are getting older but they got they were scared they, they got were, scared they got scared the drug war scared them exactly but a lot of them pop, you have to use it now for health benefits sure. as well. And I think, you know, with that, you know, with the fact of that generation getting older and that was the cool generation, you know, I think, you know, the idea of marijuana becoming legal throughout the states, it's going to happen because of the fact that that generation started to be a little bit lax about marijuana and then our generation is very lax on marijuana and it keeps getting younger and younger and younger if that makes sense well it's the same thing with alcohol i mean alcohol prohibition didn't work and then it's you know swung wildly you know but it's an alcoholism it's such a i mean it's 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 the crappiest it's the it's like why did they choose to legalize that drug (laughs) <laughs> but then not the you know I don't know there's but humans that's the thing is it isn't just humans that put things into their body like if there's an apple tree and you have a pig farm when the apples fall on the ground and they naturally ferment and they get alcohol in them pigs will go and eat them and get drunk and have fun pigs even get go drunk. hog wild right exactly but they 
like even animals will eat fermented things cats. and dig it cats like the catnip cats love the catnip yeah, yeah what's up with that yeah. i mean that's a weird they have an, <laughs> we're mammals mammals like drugs cannabinoid cannabinoid <laughs> mammals are trying to seek some kind of higher right <laughs> yeah i mean well there's the higher plane like there's yeah if you believe in god and you don't smoke pot really uh nearly this is our, our last uh, drug policy alliance uh thingy mabob for today nearly a hundred groups send a letter to representative tom reed republican in new york opposing death penalty for fentanyl bill death penalty for fentanyl Fent- see no that's now. the funny thing is that fentanyl is a le- is a legal pharmaceutical yeah. drug and so now what they're saying if you buy it on the street there's a death penalty this is outdated approach would expose drug sellers to death penalty legislation repeats worst mistakes of the drug war nearly a hundred groups working on criminal justice reform including the NAACP families against mandatory minimums and the drug policy alliance today that's today the 18th sent a letter to representative Tom Reed Democrat in New York opposing HR 6158 and the HELP uh, H-E-L-P Act of 2016. The letter notes that HR 6158 would also exacerbate the opioid epidemic our country is currently undergoing. This bill is out of step with the time, science, data, and public opinion and doubles down on 30 years of ineffective drug policy and we ask that it be revised. The proposal would mean that individuals caught selling certain quantities of fentanyl or fentanyl-laced heroin would receive the death penalty or life without parole if the sale is linked to an overdose fatality. That is some, did he take something out of Duarte's playbook, the uh, president of the Philippines? Oh, I think so, absolutely. That's what it totally is, right? Oh, we'll just kill him. Yeah. The congressman would be better served by introducing progressive bills that are based in harm reduction, rather than expounding on drug war tactics with more punitive action, said Robert Tolbert board member with Vocal New York. The bill is particularly disappointing given the U.S. Congress's embrace of treatment over incarceration as embodied by this year's passage of CARA and the bipartisan support for reducing sentences for drug offenses. What is CARA? Let's look at this real quickly. Congress passes landmark opioid bill, the Comprehensive Addiction and Recovery Act, CARA, measure promotes expanded use of diversions from the criminal justice system for drug law violations, uh, medication-assisted treatment for opioid addiction, and naloxone uh, to reverse opioid overdose. All right. So this was from uh, 7. What month is that? July. July. So this happened in July. That's good. The CARA Act. Sweet. Um, and the bipartisan report for uh, support for reducing sentences for drug offenses. The 1980s called and wants its bill back, <laughs> said Michael Collins, deputy director of Drug War Policy or Drug Policy Alliance's Office of National Affairs. Representative Reed should know that the war on drugs has failed and that harsh sentences for drug offenses have no impact on drug use. The only consequence of this bill will be to contribute further to our mass incarceration problem. Just last month, House Speaker Paul Ryan committed to completing work on criminal justice reform in the same lame duck session. The Reed bill flies in the face of these efforts. Uh, so there's, they have a copy of the, the letter if you, if you guys want to read it. 
Uh, this is an interesting part of the letter. Making mandatory minimum sentences harsher for opioid crimes lacking any mens rea standards will not make our opioid problems better. Instead, these lengthiest of punishments for strict liabilities will lock up users, addicts, and low-level offenders at huge cost to the taxpayers without reducing drug use or addiction or making Americans safer. Cases with the death penalty are estimated to cost taxpayers $1.26 million. Prisoners on death row cost taxpayers $90,000 more each year than a non-death row prisoner. Each year of incarceration in federal prison costs taxpayers over $30,000 per prisoner, with costs increasing astronomically from a population that is increasingly growing older, suffering illness, and eventually dying behind bars. More life sentences for low-level drug offenders targeted by HR 6158 will only add to these costs. That's amazing because if it's it means it's $120,000 a year to keep someone on death row. That's pricey. That's super pricey. Uh, so, yeah, New York. Stop it. What? Fentanyl's a weird one, too, because it's not a street drug. I mean, I guess it's become a street drug. It's the pharmaceutical. I mean, just like how people get, like, you know, their uh, Oxycontin on the street. When, right, right, right. You. Oxy, right. You know. And, and oxys are terrible because they were even when they were formulated they were based on lies the whole concept was that um, they were supposed to last longer but they just were stronger and lasted for the same amount of time so people end up taking more because they're supposed to last for six hours but they only last for four and so then they take more but it's still it, anyways it's opioid stuff it's terrible I'm, I'm afraid of that stuff oh i don't like it either i don't i don't like downers they scare me absolutely well thank you melissa moore thank you melissa of the uh drug policy alliance headquartered in new york i think she has the coolest job ever yeah and that's cool that they're having that uh you know symposium that symposium you know i think more cities need to have that symposium yeah. you know well and that the talks has to move toward, you know, reparative measures. How can we, I mean. A lot of people aren't educated on that either. They just see what they see on the news and TV and you know, that's what they think and they believe rather than like have a discussion with people that, you know, actually know offhand what they're talking about. Well, and we have to start changing everyone. Well, the thing is everyone knows something because we're all living here in America together right now. And we know that something's wrong. We know something's desperately wrong and people don't know how to fix it. And the problem is we can't just wait for the class war. Like, is that what we're going to do? Like, ah, let's just hang out and wait for the class war. No worries. Don't worry. That's when it'll get better after it gets way worse. You know what I mean? I mean, that's yeah. the thing is it'll be like another civil war or something where some crazy class war that happens in the United States where, you know, the one percenters finally rise up from their man mansions and their huge, you know, fortresses and they have tanks and guns and, and it'll be a version of like the French revolution. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. Like we've got the manpower, but they've got all like, you know, they've, they've got the cannons or what have you. Uh, <laughs> and they're just going to bomb us. And that's the whole thing is that the second amendment, people keep getting behind the second amendment. And it's so stupid because the second amendment was created so that we could rise up against our government if they chose to oppress us again. And we said, nay, we said, we are Americans and we will have our guns just in case the British ever come back. And they're like, Hey, you know, give me all your food. Cause I'm stay at your house because uh, you know, you're part, we're part of your country. They didn't want, I'm a red coat. The, the, well, the whole point was that we, so we could rise up against our government if we so needed to. And now that whole concept is moot because 
they've even if I had an AK-47, I still can't fight a tank. I still can't <laughs> fight a nuclear weapon. So now do we all just get to have pocket nuclear weapons? Because that's that's basically if we believe in the Second Amendment and what it stands for, then we believe that every American should have the right to own a nuclear weapon. Because that's the only thing that could help us rise up against our oppressor and if something if something should happen. Yeah. Well, those people who harp on the Second Amendment haven't actually read the Second Amendment because it's not a, it's everything that you just said. And it's so funny that the fact of the matter, it's no one's going to take your guns away. That's not what it's about. You know, it's it's about I, I, at this point. I say take the guns away. I say take the guns I, away from the police. Take the guns away from everybody. I say no guns. I, I, I say no weapons, I, no guns. Although we could still make weapons. I mean, a baseball bat's a pretty effective <laughs> weapon. But so that's the thing. Is like that's dangerous to me though. Well, but I, 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 if I, we remove all the weapons and we say no more weapons, that's in a utopian universe right, that right, won't right. happen. Right. And so I, I don't. I, I do believe in the Second Amendment, but. The thing is, I do believe in background checks. Oh, yeah. You know, I do. I mean, come on, people. Ain't nobody going to take your guns away. And why do we need an AK-47 in the first place? What how, What you going to hunt with an AK-47? Well, I, like to, I like to destroy my deer. You know, I just like to. Yeah. You, yeah. I like to tenderize. That medicine ain't going to taste good. I'm going to tenderize the meat before I <laughs> get in there. Uh, so the next thing that we were going to go through is... Uh, they're on the piano. The pissed off voter guide. This is the way. I don't know if you guys know about the San Francisco League of Pissed Off Voters. They're they're an amazing uh, grassroots organization here in San Francisco. It says, "Meet the League of Pissed Off Voters." We're a bunch of political geeks in a torrid but troubled love affair with San Francisco. We're blessed to live in America, America's most pro- progressive city, but we're cursed to live in a city where most of the youth who grow up here can't afford to live here. Amen. Frisco, terrible word, has its own dark history of injustice, redevelopment, environmental racism, the Old Boys Network, and all of us are lucky enough to enjoy the San Francisco magic. Uh, uh, Those, uh, all of us lucky enough to enjoy the San Francisco magic, owe it to our city to fight to keep it diverse, just and healthy. What are you going to do to make a difference? This voter guide, our 21st in SF, is how we educate our friends and peers on the issue, excite pissed off progressive voters, and remind sellout politicians that we're paying attention. Hang out with the league. Want to get involved? Got a question about this stuff or just want to have a drink with us? Join us at happy hour and come to the party on election night. Stay up to date. Uh, Go to their Facebook, the league uh, SF, and... uh, Financial disclosures available at sfethics.org. Okay, so this is their new... I always... I don't always vote with everything they say, but I really do believe uh, in what they they do. Uh, Vote heavy, vote hard. So right now it's already open. Starting the 11th, you can uh, vote any day you want at City Hall. The deadline to register is the 24th, which is on Monday. And uh, you can... There's weekend early voting at City Hall on the 29th and 30th and the 5th and 6th. And election day is 11 8. I like to vote on election day because I like the Ya Vote button. I yeah. like that. Or the sticker. I like to have the sticker. I like the sticker. Yes, I voted. Where's your polling place? Call 311-CSFelections.org or vote in City Hall. Even if you've committed a felony, you can vote as long as you're off parole. Don't let the man disenfranchise you. All right, so this is the 
League of Pissed Off Voter Guide. This ballot is ginormous. There are over wow. 50 things to vote on this time around. That probably makes you want to breathe into a paper bag, but don't panic. Check out our cheat sheet on the next page. So it's all here for you guys. Um, we're not talking about the presidential race because you don't need to tell us who to vote for for president. <laughs> this year's bruising primary season hoovered up everyone's energy and sparkled endless toxic infighting. Enough already. This year's down-ballot races are hella important and no one's paying attention to them. While state-level pol politics seem corrupt and distanced to us, cities are laboratories for democracy, an arena where we can affect real change on a local level. Think of this voter guide as your secret decodering to the Byzantine jumble of this November's ballot. So uh, it, that's super awesome. The one thing, if you guys want to help out, you can, um, we have a bunch of these at the station right now. And Monica Moorhead is uh, a, a black socialist woman. And she is running for president with Lamont Lilly. And we need 50 people in the state of California to fill out this paper and bring it into their city hall by Monday, by the 24th, so that she can be a write-in candidate on the ballot. The way that it works in California is that you need 50 people to fill out a specific form so that you can be a legal write-in candidate. And the important thing, and she, she has a really great, um, she came here and did, um, what's it called, interviews with Heterotopia, and they're available uh, on Heterotopia Mondays, four to six, and, and in the index, where he talked to both uh, Monica Moorhead and Lamont Lilly, real presidential candidates, about why they want to be on the ballot as socialists. And, um, and they, she says it straight out that she doesn't, ex they're not running to be elected. They're running to keep socialism in the forefront and for people to continue talking about a potential for a three-party government so that yeah. it can, if we don't start now, it's never going to be a reality. And people keep saying, oh yeah, it's never going to happen. Well, it's not happening now, but it, if we, if we plant we the seeds now, the plant could grow. Because Bernie was sort of the first guy who, like, who's, he made socialism not a dirty word. You know, suddenly, like, those commie reds aren't associated with socialism. And that's a change in America's mindset. Because, of course, we demonize communism because that's what we did in the Cold War and those right. dirty commies. Commie pink liberals, these crazy, you know, it's a way that you. MacArthur make, hated commies. It, it's, a, it's a way that you make people, uh, that you delegitimize their their political standpoint and, and socialism. People are getting sick of capitalism and there there needs to be an answer for that and I think socialism is the answer. But wouldn't you say though, I mean, it's so stupid. We are kind of socialist already. What What's the wherefore? What, what was the New Deal? What, oh, right. I love the New Deal. What was the I New love Deal? I love FDR. 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 Man. I mean, seriously. Yeah, D Department of Public Works, love it. Love the federal park system, love it, love it, love it. Love all Social of that stuff. Socialism. I love socialism. <laughs> I love the idea of, but I, I take things farther because I, I believe that a, a person's work and worth should be equitable. Like, why do we not pay farmers what they're worth because they're doing manual labor why or do teachers. we de or teachers but why do we devalue certain forms of labor labor and we laud these other forms of labor which aren't labor at all making an app is not really labor and you're what are you you're creating something that is so ephemeral it's on a phone well like, i mean what? the thing is i think that is kind of artistry though mm -hmm. that's in the arts okay i mean it's creating something and that's artistic but I don't feel here's here's a, another a better example. 
Why the hell do football players get millions and millions of dollars? Why do why do we worship our athletes? Why do we worship celebrities? And, our, and you're bringing up a great point. Yeah, you know, and it there we create. We, well, that's because we love the one percent, but we create that one yeah. percent. We create those stars, and we leave, we we give them impossible standards to live up to that are completely unrealistic for people in the ways that they look and how they're supposed to act, and then their their entire lives are in this. Now, do they want like? I don't know. I've just been disgusted by the whole Brangelina thing. Oh, the- I, like I try not to pay attention to it. I'm like, oh, they're getting divorced. Who fucking cares? <laughs> now she's oh, she has to raise twelve children on her own. <laughs> she has millions of dollars. How many nannies? You know, <laughs> how many nannies does she have? Okay, here's what they're endorsing. All right, um, we'll we'll go through the Pro- state propositions. State propositions. There are so many. Okay, so first. They say on let's let's look at ones we're interested in. Uh, okay, so prop prop fifty one no endorsement prop fifty two yes wonky hospital these ones are uh, important revenue measures. Here we go. Uh, thanks to California's Prop thirteen, our city and state are perpetually broke, and essential social support services are cut every year. We're on the lookout for progressive ways to raise revenue so our massive budget isn't passed. To the backs of the poor. All right, here we go. Proposition 55, tax the 1%. Hell yes, yes. They say vote. Hell yes. Continues the existing income tax on people making over $250,000 a year to fund K through 12 and community colleges. Hell yes. Yep. Tax. You make more than $250,000? Tax them. We tax them. Are you kidding me? You need more. You rich piece of shit. You need more than two hundred and fifty thousand. I don't even think I've made two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in my entire life. What's that like? And you make that more in a year, and you, you wealthy, greedy piece of shit. Yes, you give us your money so that we can raise our children, so that we can have them have schools and art, and we can make our kids smart for the future and community colleges, so that people can continue learning as adults. And we give them that because you. Give back, you rich motherfuckers. Okay, two. And they're going to be like, no. Um, proposition A. School bond. School bond. Yes. Imperfect. Uh, imperfect, but $744 million. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then there's uh, Prop B, renew the parcel tax for City College. This is critical funding to keep the lights on at <laughs> CCSF. So, yes, please vote yes on Prop B. So that, that uh, they can pay for their electricity. Uh, yeah, Prop C. Oh, this is very important. This is bonds for affordable housing um, preservation. Use $261 million of unused earthquake bonds as loans to convert at-risk apartments into affordable housing and complete systematic... Seismic. Seismic, excuse me, and fire safety upgrades. Don't mind if we do. <laughs> Vote yes. Yeah. Proposition C. That's great. That um, At-risk apartments into affordable housing. Definitely need that here in this city. Absolutely. Sheesh. Can we, and is there, are there any propositions to stop all the arson? No, I don't think that exists. No. <laughs> Sorry. In the mission, in the mission, there have been, so there was another arson. There was another one. There was one up uh, next to the Safeway on, right past 30th Street on mission. And just like, oh, it was there and now it's gone. And now it's going to be apartments. Probably. Yeah. Well, and the new ones, the the new things that just, I was uh, at the Safeway on 16th Street and I'm looking across the street and I'm like, what is that monstrosity? There's a new enormous building and it's like, great. Leasing now. It's great. And it has this 
really beautiful rooftop deck. It's going to be an expensive place. Uh, we can't live there. No, I can't afford to live. Prop K, soda tax. Yes. Sales tax. I'm sorry. That's Prop V. Prop K is the sales tax. Vote yes. Three-fourths of a cent bump in sales tax to add to fund transportation, housing, and homeless services. Although the sales taxes are regressive and we wish that this was a vehicle license fee, this will fund crucial policies. Also, in SF, most of the sales tax comes from businesses and visitors. So, less than a penny um, in sales tax. That ain't going to hurt you. That ain't going to hurt anybody. But it would be great if it was a vehicle license fee because I don't have a car, so I wouldn't have to pay for it. Um, but everyone in the city, we all have to pay our fair share. That's fine with me. Uh, and then this is the, the soda tax. Vote yes, Prop V. One, dollar, one cent per ounce on sugary drinks. No, it's not a grocery store tax, you corporate assholes. <laughs> Similar taxes in Berkeley and Mexico have reduced soda consumption and increased water consumption. Although it's a somewhat regressive tax, it's a lot less regressive than diabetes. <laughs> How do you feel about that, the soda tax? I don't drink soda, so it doesn't affect me. Yeah, tax them. Absolutely. Yeah. A cent an ounce, right? So if you were doing, um, if you got a two-liter bottle, that is, uh, what, it's... Is that a half a gallon? Uh, no, it's four quarts. No, it's four. Is it about a How many ounces is that? I mean, I guess a regular soda you would buy is 12 ounces. So that'd be 12 cents on a can of Coke. That's fine. Just think about how much the big gulps will be now at 7-Eleven. Right. I know if they're 59 cents and they're <laughs> and it's a cent per ounce. That's crazy. That means that the tax is going to be as much as the drink is. Yeah. It'll be a dollar nine instead of 59 cents. But hey, I say, yeah, tax. I don't drink. I mean, I don't like, drink. Soda. I might Just have a soda water. like I might if. But then it's no, I don't. Sometimes I'll do like half diet soda and half like root beer <laughs> at the um, at the in and out. But that's when you're eating a burger. But that's the only time I, ne I never buy a soda. I just, it's not my thing. Uh, oh, this is Prop prop W, booyah, hell yes. Luxury property transfer tax. Increase the sales tax for sales of mansions and office buildings that sell more for more than $5 million. Mm. Generate $40 million a year to pay for free city college and Prop E's street tree program. Yeah. yeah. Prop W, yes. There is so much going on. This is crazy. Um... I want to. I want to see what they say about. Do they say anything about sixty? I can't see it here. I want to see what they say about. Oh. They don't. They don't do a little. That's a bummer. They don't do a little thingy on on prop on sixty. Prop 60. They, they tell you in the in the guide, sixty. No moralizing crusade to require condoms in adult film, but they don't. They don't tell you about it or why, which is kind of a bummer. But I I like it that they're saying no. Uh moralizing that's the that's the one that's like why to, with the condoms um th there's two death penalty things that 62 to repeal the death penalty so uh hell yes and then 66 is they give you an are you fucking kidding me no kill everyone even faster with the death penalty so we've got two yeah. death penalty things as state propositions um so you can repeal it or you can make it way worse. That's what they're basically saying. 
Um, props, uh, hell no on props P and U. Realtors profit off of fucking up affordable housing. Yeah. <laughs> These were put on the ballot by realtors to increase affordable housing options for middle-income San Franciscoans. The reality is they will gut the creation of affordable housing during the worst housing crisis in SF history. Prop P says if the city doesn't get at least three bids for a project to build affordable housing, it can't accept any of them, even if it gets one or two high-quality bids. Excuse me. This is the realtor's attempt to cut affordable housing orgs off at its knees. Prop U reclassifies affordable housing units by doubling the income (gasps) ceiling, pushing low-income people out. We just passed the highest affordable housing requirements in the nation in June, including for the middle-income peeps. The realtors are saying Prop U will build middle-income housing, but in reality, it eliminates low-income housing. Plus, it's retroactive, so it would incentivize landlords to evict existing low-income tenants who will get an automatic mega-rent hike. Oh, bad news. This is one of the reasons why I don't like this city. I mean, I... We need to continue having low-income housing because there is no low. I there mean, is. I mean, what is considered low-income? My my rent is over a thousand dollars. Is that? That's I, just called luck. Yeah, I know, That's right? <laughs> but there should be, there should be multiple options for people to live in the city, especially if they're. If you're a metropolitan area, there should be yes, there should be an option for people to live. Well, because where else? Where, the, it, to make a city work, you need a lot of people doing a lot of different jobs. Now, not just one demographic, San Francisco. But look at, if you look at the industry, like let's even just look at the hotel industry. Are all the people, are, are all the people that are cleaning the rooms that are on, say, the cleaning staff, where are they living? Are they living in San Francisco? Probably not. Where do teachers live here? Wait, in Oakland. That's the thing is that if you work in San Francisco, you should be able to live in the city that you work in. You should not have to commute from Richmond to work in the city. You should be able to live in the city that you work in. I mean, that's just period. Muni bus drivers. Can muni bus drivers who drive around the city all day, can they afford to live here? Lots of them? No. Living in Oakland, living in San Jose, coming here. If you want to buy a house. Right. Yeah. And I mean, everyone should have... If you, you should have an option. That's to that's live just the in point. The city that I mean, that, that that's just the point of like you know having an option to live anywhere you want in the Bay Area. And this city is just so unfair, and it's just so targeted to one demographic. And that one, and you need you need different types of people. You need diversity to make a city thrive. Right. Absolutely. And uh, gosh, if you, uh, I don't like this town. Sometimes. It's making things are things are crazy. Uh, so here's another fuck no. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? No! Proposition 66 kills everyone even faster with the death penalty. Proposition 66 expedites the death penalty process, dictating that death row appeals must be completed within five years. It even contains a poison pill for Prop 62 so that if both measures win, only this one could take effect. <gasps> so if you vote uh, on 62 to repeal the death penalty, but... Prop 66 goes through, then Prop 62 doesn't go through. So you can't rep- It's like repeal it or make it really worse. It's very, it's very scary. 
There's uh, no prop R micromanaging the police department. Scott Wiener's anti-community policing measures that forces the city to take away your neighborhood officers from a citywide special unit that is limited to only dealing with non-violent quality, quality of life crimes. It's evil and it's bad policy. All right. Uh, I don't like police. Well, <laughs> I, I mean... I, I don't believe me. in micromanaging anybody, but I also say no more guns for police. I say, I say that if we took the police's guns away, then they wouldn't be shooting as many people. And you could, like I said, a bat is a very effective weapon. <laughs> so is a billy club. Like if we trained our police Stun officers, but, the, but that's still, police are supposed to interact. I mean, if you're looking at like the original concept of police serve it's to serve and protect right and to help people in the community when they have issues and problems unless and you're black right but <laughs> you can you can effectively like if something is happening and you get a call and it's a domestic disturbance call what are you going with your gun, guns blaring there yes. could be children in there there could be people that aren't they could just be having a fight you don't know if there's a gun or not you don't know what's going on in my but world you, but you can effectively you know, it's subdue, but you can, if someone actually does attack you, you can, sub, you can effectively subdue them with a bat. Stun gun. Stun gun. Stun gun. I mean, we just, we just talked about the story about the guy in uh, Michigan and Benton Harbor. So there it, you go. It didn't, and, and not even armed, but people, they shouldn't be running at us with, with their guns drawn. Uh, a proposition Q, fuck no, demonize the homeless for political gain. Dang, Mark Farrell sure does hate homeless people. This is his vanity measure to get his name out there as a homeless advocate so that he can run for mayor. He's trying to call it housing not tents, but there's no friggin' housing in this measure. This prop would give the SFPD authority to remove an encampment after just giving 24-hour notice, which the DOJ says is unconstitutional. Department of Justice. Um, SF has 6,000 homeless residents, a little more than that, it's about 66, uh, but only 1,200 shelter beds okay. and huge waiting lists. There simply aren't enough resources. This hurts homeless people while pretending to help them. Okay, I do have a problem with the tent cities. I do have a problem with that shit. I do. I don't like it. It's gross. People shit outside, and it, no, we need more shelters. Yeah, absolutely. that's what it is. No, I no, I'm not. I'm not for having ten cities. Yeah, I I do think there should be a 24-hour notice. Seriously, if I'm going to pay this much living in this city, mm. I'm sorry. We need to do more than just let them put a tent in front of. I, Occupy Harrison Street. Yeah, that's like have you all seen the way down. Fools, Occupy Folsom, Folsom looks like now. Yeah, right. No, yeah, I'm occupied. not for that. Under the under the freeway by 14th, um, right by the um, what's it called? Right by the whole not Whole Foods Rainbow. Oh, Rainbow. Yeah, that's growing too. It's no, all I'm not underneath that whole that whole division um, area there. underneath that underneath that overpass. It's more and more, and the thing is, like, it's sad that, and it, it, it's sad that you have to walk through that and see that on top of the fact when there could be more being done we need more shelters well here's the thing though shelters suck they suck but those tents out there yeah, suck even more well the thing is that with the tents at least they have some concept of autonomy with we need a better program we definitely need we, we need, need a, a better program. program but this but the shelters 
they make you check in at a certain time. And you have to you check have, out. You have to check out in the morning. So you have to carry all of your stuff with you. They don't allow dogs. So anyone with pets, anyone who has a companion animal of any kind, th- they cannot bring them to the shelters. So there needs to be... We do. We have a the the homeless census just came out from 2015. They do it every two years. They count them in certain areas, and um, we have about 6,600 homeless people, and they're living in a variety of places. A lot in my neighborhood. Yeah, you see it every day. Like, do you like? How do you feel like when you have to come out there and see that? You know, sometimes. You know, it it makes me really sad. But the tents. I would rather see someone with a tent than I would just with a wrapped up in a blanket on the ground because I feel like that's a drug issue that we need to address. Yes. Because yes. with the tents they're like kind of creating a home for themselves. They <laughs> sort are. of like there's But now it's starting to become a nuisance. It's starting it, to get an issue. It's, and then yeah. and it's and it's, it's starting to become a public I, I, health issue. Right, 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 right. And that's right. the thing. It's not just like piddle pads for the it's homeless. It's not yeah. It's not just like this area's tent city. No, it's spreading out because the affordable housing gone, the there's lack of uh, there's mental health issues, there's mm-hmm. drug addiction, and it, it's all three of those things. It's yeah. all three of those things, and we're not doing enough in the city to help with programs, to help pe- individuals in that situation. Right. To no. get, but they, I feel like you know, by having them have the tents, that's just ignoring the problem. Wh- right. But at least there's. <sighs> concept of home like what do what do people need to survive right you need food shelter you need food you need adequate shelter it's nice to have a a comfortable place to sleep you need somewhere to go to the bathroom like if we can figure out i mean i'm even for like i'm super progressive i'm like let's take this the, the area that's underneath the freeway on the corner of you know, fourth and in between Bryant and Harrison, that huge area that people try to live in anyway, why don't we say, hey, oh, okay, you guys can live here and, you know, put the pallets down and have, you know, yurts or something. I, it could be your shanty town. Like a little shanty town, <laughs> right. I mean, I say if there's... I'll, I'll, I don't I'll, have a problem with the I, shanty town. I, I say occupy. I. How about this? We take some of these SROs and make them into apartments for these people. Yeah, right. Well, and SROs, it's it's the only tough thing is that when they have a shared bathroom on the, when a lot of SROs, all they have is a sink in the room. Single, so the yeah. guys pee in the sink and, but you have a shared bathroom and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's better than going to the bathroom outside. A- a- absolutely. And uh, God, SROs are so expensive. They're, they're almost more expensive than, oh, they are, and, they're more expensive than just having a place. Well, you can't find an $1,000 apartment anymore. But SROs are like 1200 to 1600 a month. Damn. I know. It's not cheap. Well, I am for that tent shit. I'm sorry. I'm not. I mean, I, I don't like the smell of poo on the street. I'm going to be honest. I I'm kind of getting used to it. I'm, And that's the thing. You shouldn't get used to that because that is a public health issue. Yeah, like, is. I don't like... When I would ride my bike over uh, where Bayshore is, there used to be a tent city over there. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. it was kind of really scary and intimidating because I don't know what those people are going to do. I don't know. It's a mixed bag of people. Yeah. Some good, some sketchy. 
Right. I mean, and that's the thing is a, a tent doesn't necessarily provide safety. If you want to break into a tent, it's pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You know, like <laughs> just cut through it. Yeah. If you want to, I would, I mean, that would be the one thing I'd be afraid of if I was homeless. I really wouldn't want to, you know, get raped in my sleep because, you know, someone's crazy on the street and I'm living in a tent. Safety issues. Uh, these are the good, exciting props that you should vote hell yes on. All right. Social justice is on the ballot. This is why we live in California, right? Proposition 57, progressive parole reform. Hell yes. Make 27,000 inmates convicted of nonviolent felonies eligible for parole and make judges, not prosecutors, responsible for deciding when to charge juveniles as adults. Ooh. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Hell yes on 62, repeal the death penalty. End the death penalty and convert everyone on death row to life in prison. Yay. And uh, hell yes on Prop 64, marijuana legalization. Dial down the drug war and generate revenue by taxing this shadow catch crop. Bonus, people in prison for pot get their sentences reduced or waived and their records expunged. Woohoo! Yeah, so let people out of jail. So you guys, please go out and pick up uh, League of Pissed Off Voters endorsement cheat sheet. It makes it really easy because... There's a lot of stuff to vote for. Um, Board of Supervisors, that's all happening as well. And, uh, hey. Are you excited about the debate tonight? There's going to be another debate. Sadly, (laughs) sadly I don't get to watch it because I'm babysitting, and I don't think that my young friend is going to let me watch it. I actually have two young friends I'm hanging out with tonight, and um, they're 10, and I'd really like to watch the debate. And I'm going to ask them. I'm going to be like, ladies, can we... Let Nanny Pammy participate. Uh, please participate Give with me. Give them a civics uh, lesson, right. kind of. Well, and I, I, I'd like them to be informed on uh, what the presidential candidates are doing. But they're uh, hopefully because there's two of them and they're friends that want to hang out with each other and play on their iPhones together or whatever, and then I'll be able to watch the debate. Um, but it's I'm babysitting basically directly during the debate. I'm babysitting from like... 5.50 to 7 o'clock or something. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's like exactly debate time. Hey, girls, go play. Yeah, well, what I'm going to tell them is like, why don't you guys go play in the bathroom or something? Uh, Pam, uh, Pammy's going to watch this comedy show right, right here. Right, actually, yeah. I need to, <laughs> Nanny Pammy needs to write some new jokes for this. <laughs> there you go. On Saturday, I'm doing a show, um, and I don't even know, I, I don't know where it is. I should look it up. But it's a roast. It's a roast of, um, of, Hillary and uh, Orange Face. Orange Face. At and I should I should look it up. I should know where I'm doing a show on Saturday night. Uh, but it's it should be a good show. Uh, Pete O'Keefe is putting it together, and and uh, so anyways, I get to do a roast of Hillary and Trump, and I want to like uh, I'm trying this new joke and it's not working yet, but hopefully it'll work on Saturday. Uh, okay, so it should be in my messages, Pete O'Keefe. Uh, oh, you, there's another exciting thing that's happening uh, at the station. Well, you know, every every week is exciting at the station, but uh, it's it's exciting because this this week it's the hell hat. But the next week for Halloween, uh, I'm pretty stoked because we're doing a four hour comedy event, and it's going to be an open mic, but it's a gong show, but it's going to be a horn show, so. Everyone gets at least three minutes over the four hours, but after you've done your three minutes, whoever is wearing the clown hat and has the horn, when they honk you, you're gone. So people are going to, yeah, people are going to donate to the station to have the privilege of having the horn 
for a while. And um, so I'm excited about that. And uh, and I'm gonna, it's gonna be I'm gonna dress up as a as a sexy clown. Okay, so here's the <laughs> sexy scary clown. Yes. Election roast days. Uh, who's on the? Where is everyone gets six minutes? Blah 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 blah. Roast SF. Blah 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 blah. What's um, Saturday, October twenty second. Call time is seven forty five. We go from eight thirty to ten. But where? But <laughs> I mean seriously, he didn't even tell me. Um, well, that's going to be an issue. I know. I have no idea where this place is. Hillary versus Donald on stage. You can target. We sell Make sure out, you blah, wear blah, blah, a pantsuit. <laughs> this is insane that he's never told me where it is. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That's, I have no idea where this show is. That's like I, one of the most important parts. I know, right? <laughs> I have. I, I'm going to tell him. I have no idea <laughs> Question where mark. this Donde show is. Place. <laughs> yeah, like Donde I mean, is show. Right. I mean, it could be the Purple Onion. It could be Playland. It could be anywhere. So I have no no idea. So I can't even tell you guys where to be this weekend. What? I but mean, she will eventually. I will eventually. <laughs> eventually. But, um, Definitely, you should. So you're gonna be a sexy, creepy clown. Yeah. Uh. So the 20 second I no I have no idea even even the stuff there's he's got this whole thing of like who's on the panel and what's how who's in the show and all this stuff but no and, but, but the most important but part where is it idiocy where am I going I have no idea so I can't even share it with you guys but anyways I'll tell you what's happening at Mutiny Radio so uh we are going to be having this week is the uh Hell Hat which people pick random things out, and then next week is going to be really great. It, everyone, and you're not allowed to perform unless you're in costume. So, um, so comedians, if you do want to be here on the 28th, you're all invited. But if you can't come up with a costume, at least say something clever so that it's like whatever clothes you're wearing. Like if you're wearing a polo shirt and jeans, be like, "I'm a stereotypical male comedian," or whatever. I'm a rapist. Um, Right, that's fine. As long as they get creative and say they're wearing a costume. I mean, I'll believe it, right? I don't I don't care. I'll believe it. But um but it's 3 minutes and then once uh once you get the horn, you got to wrap it up unless the audience can veto the clown if they are adamant enough. So if people just start screaming like, "What? No, let him keep going." Then we're going to let him keep going. I like that name, by the way. Veto the clown. Veto the clown. Yeah, right. V I T O or V E T O. Yeah, V E T O. Veto the clown. Veto the clown. Uh, yeah. So I, I mean, what do you, what are you looking forward to about the debates tonight? Are, well, are you? I have to be. To? I have to work today. Oh, so um, during the debates you have to work. But luckily we have a TV, and I'm going to tell them to put it on a. Well, actually, I'll be I'll be watching it from my phone like when I'm at work so I'll do both what I'm looking forward to is the comedy show that Orange Face will put on right because that's what it is now it's 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 a it's a it's a show it really is I mean by this point he ain't gonna win um his supporters are just cray out this world and he is you know they're waning absolutely there's there's, there's a wax and a wane and they're not uh Let's uh, let, let's uh, let's see what the people are saying about the debate tonight. Debate. Um, uh, debate's out of work. Uh, no, this isn't what I wanted. I don't want debate. I, I'm actually I wanted, want I'm looking debate. forward to what pantsuit she's gonna wear too. 
Wow. <laughs> She's got some classy, clever pants. Classy pants suits. Uh, who Donald Trump and Hillary invited to tonight's debate? Uh, oh, so they could have people behind them or whatever. Yeah, like he was awful last time with the with the, the Paula sex, Jones, yeah, right with the sex campaign people. That was terrible. Um, Donald Trump is gonna bring controversial guests. The Republican nominee invited Malik Obama, the president's half brother, to sit in the audience. What? At tonight's third and final debate in Las Vegas, Malik Obama lives in Kenya but is an American citizen and reportedly supports Trump. (laughs) Uh, The last debate, Trump brought women who have accused former President Bill Clinton of sexual misconduct. Trump held a press conference with the women, Juanita Brodick, uh, Paula Jones, Kathleen Wiley, and Kathy Shelton before the debate started mentioning them during the debate. And his campaign arranged for the women to speak to the press and in the spin room. I think that's Ugh, disgusting. Wow. I think that's really disgusting. I don't anticipate that the president has spent a lot of time considering whether or not Malik Obama should attend the debate, Ernest said during today's White House press briefing, adding, I have to admit I really don't know the intent of his invitation, the extent of this intent of his blah, blah, blah. Uh, Mark Cuban, owner of the Dallas Mavericks and a Shark Tank personality, is making his second appearance at the presidential debate. He was invited by Hillary Clinton, who brought him along to the first one. Chelsea Clinton will be watching from inside the debate hall with her husband, Mark Mazvinsky. Blah, 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 blah. Not clear if Bill Clinton's going to be there. Unlike the second debate, Bill Clinton will not shake hands with Melania Trump before the candidates are called to the stage. In the previous two debates, the spouses of the candidates had to pass each other to get to their seats, shaking hands in the process, but that's not expected tonight. Um, She, um... She's been doing interviews um, recently about the fact of what her uh, orange face said about women. And she said that um, Billy Bush, who was the gentleman on the excess Hollywood bus, he, uh, egged uh, orange face on. Oh, yeah. Egged, egged him on by talking about how he treats women. I don't think that he was, I don't, I, I listened, we listened egged. to the, we listened to the tape yes. last week and I don't egged think that on. anybody was, I don't think that he was being forced or tr- I don't think he was saying, he yeah, was, yeah, get gross, get gross. I think that they were both complicit in that like conversation exactly. and he didn't know he was being taped, right? He didn't know he, his, his microphone, microphone was, on. was on. He didn't know that. I mean, the fact of the matter is just like, he was the one doing most of the talking. Right. Absolutely. He was the one doing most of yeah. the talking. Yeah. So it's just, uh, yeah. I can't wait till this shit's over. Me too. I'm tired. I, I am as well. I don't want uh, I'm Like I'm this reality of, show has yeah. went on way too long. Agreed. I'm done. I'm done. No, I mean. Stick a fork I, in me. Well, and I don't even, I, I don't even like Hillary that much. I mean. I don't either. I, I think that, I mean. I, she's, she's too, she's got too, too uh, close of ties to uh, Wall Street. There's that. There's so many problems. There's, I mean. But this is not the time to nitpick and be picky. We don't have any options. We don't have a choice. And that sucks. That's the thing that sucks is that America, the land of choice, uh, we have no we have no choice here really. Yeah. We have, <laughs> they both suck, really. There's no there's no way around it. They're and, the two most and, unpopular candidates in in history. How did we how did Bernie Sanders not get how did that happen? The Democratic Party. How, but Debbie Weiser Schultz. 
That's I don't. I, I don't say. understand how. The, I mean, how Debbie it didn't Weiser happen. Shorts. I just. She I don't was get it. in charge of the D- Democratic committee. There's been some uh, speculation uh, about uh, some votes. And why that wouldn't? Came in. Why wouldn't Hillary choose Bernie as her running mate? Um, good question. Why not? I was hoping she was going to choose Elizabeth Warren, but that would be too many pussies in the White House right, for them. Right. <laughs> it just won't work out. Uh, hey, that this has been uh, this has been the Altacast. We we got through it. We we, we went through it. all this stuff today. We did it. We did the we the did drug it. policy alliance. Drugs. We drugs. drugs. We got the worried about. We're gonna figure out San Francisco voting guides. Uh, go you guys go pick one of those up or look them up on the internet. Uh, and check out their voter guide because it, it really is easy to it's put inform- it in your pocket. Informative. You can bring it with you when you vote so that you know how to vote on all of these issues. Because when I got that thing in front of my door that had all the stuff written in it and it said all the stuff, boy, is that overwhelming. It's very overwhelming. It's a lot. Do you get a lot of stuff in the mail from like, you know, you know how to vote this election? Because I've been getting tons. I've been getting a lot of pieces of paper uh, that I throw, that I immediately throw, yeah. throw away. Um which is just a waste of money and resources, which bums me out too. I, I should probably make them into like some origami swans and, and <laughs> make an art project out of it or something. But Good. scrapbooking, scrapbooking, yeah. But I find it just a big waste of resources. Yeah. But the pissed off voter guide is not. It's one piece of paper that's double. It has information on the entire thing, and it's done very well. And it's one piece of paper that they. And I want to have a drink with them. Yeah. So, uh, all right, guys, coming up next here on Mutiny Radio is Some Call Me Tim, uh, the show where we talk about God with a different guest every week and find out what they believe uh, or don't don't believe. Uh, That's coming up at 2 o'clock. And then the second hour of that is uh, Pervert Fervor, (laughs) a.k.a. Timothy Pizza, playing his moogity me, moogie boopity beeps. Uh, our special guest today is True Dance, comedian True Dance, and um, it should be a fun show. So thank you, Latoya. We didn't get to talk to Dee, but she didn't want to talk. We turned her microphone yeah. on for a long time. Yeah, and she just was not <laughs> into in it. She's in silence. Uh, she's like, I don't want to get political with you guys. It's too <laughs> scary. We won't. We won't tag her on Facebook either, because um, you know that's how we roll. Um, all right, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Hopefully. Um, what you know watch the debates or don't but uh, definitely go out and support your local comedian and their funny jokes and come visit us on fridays for pamtastic's comedy clubhouse please all right bye everybody about all this closed board. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me sea dogs and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutiny radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice. 
LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit face McRat. <laughs> Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's deep in the Mission District where you can laugh off your tushy for near fine dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. Want to go to Burning Man, but you don't have the right goggles, costume, or attitude? Visit 20 Mission Hive at 2415 Mission Street between 20th and 21st in the heart of the Mission District. Easily accessible by BART, this collective of unique artists and vendors has eclectic handmade clothing, leatherwork, artisan jewelry, antiques, crystals, and there's even an amazing florist. Whisper pirate ship to your 20 Mission High vendor for a special 10% discount on the coolest, most original items in San Francisco. That's 20 Mission Hive with eight vendors and like them on Facebook at 20 Mission Hive. 20 Mission High for awesome events and updates. The dictionary definition of the adjective eclectic is selecting or choosing from various sources. When Bay Area musician J.D. Buell brings you Morning Train Wednesday 10 a.m. to noon on Mutiny Radio, that is exactly what he does. Select music from various sources to give you a unique listening experience. Rock, pop, jazz, bluegrass, gospel, funk, reggae, folk, blues, country and western, electronica, soul, disco, rhythm and blues, punk and post-punk come together with music from around the world with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment wherein both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on mutinyradio.fm. Freeform radio for free minds.
Do you need an awesome and underground space for an event? Look no further than MutinyRadio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsidai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event now. Well, hey there, San Francisco. If you're looking for some delicious late-night food, I suggest you mosey on down to Bender's Bar. Inside, you can find counter-offer, and my offering you amazing late-night food and snacks. Try the chicken biscuit. It's like your stomach's in a tasty tornado. They have exceptionally great daily ground sustainable burgers with sides of tater tots, grilled asparagus, and delicious zucchini and creamy-licious mac and cheese. You like tacos? They got them. And from the specials, very deep fried fish sandwich to a stoner burger with a donut bun. What are those crazy potheads going to come up with next? Go to the counter offer inside of Brenda's Bar at 800 South Van Ness Avenue, San Francisco. It's located between 19th Street and 20th Street in the Mission District. Open seven nights a week from 5 to 10 p.m. or later. Counter offer, son! and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. Oh, happy hour. What could be happier than 23 comics doing jokes for each other and at a radio listening audience? Puppets, kittens, unicorns, porn maybe? Oh, well, stage time makes them happy, and this super happy comedy open mic is open every Friday from 6 to 8 p.m., but you can also listen anytime by downloading the podcast at Meet New Radio FM Index at podcasts.pcrcollective.org. So come live or listen later or 
to every happy hour mic Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. at Radio FL Mutiny Radio. I just fucked that up again. What the fuck is wrong with me? Yeah! Yeah! I got it. I got it. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes. And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Gets to the point where, like, you walk into Target and you see, like, a cute bra that's, like, a winky face and it's Joe Boxer, and you're like, oh, that's cute. I would want that. No, they only make it A through, like, C. Me. C, all right? I want to be able to buy bras at Target. Those bras are like seven bucks. You know how much I have to pay for bra? I have to go to Lane Bryant. I have to make a fucking meet with a fitting person, right? And then the fitting person is like, oh, what are you? Like an 80 gajillion double 3G, whatever? I'm like, yes, it's in 3D. Like, that's how big my... And then, and then she grossed me and she's like, I think you're a this. And then she brings you the size. And because I'm so fucking mortified, if, even if it doesn't fit, I'm just like, fuck it, yes, I will have that. Do you have it in a fun color? And she's like, we also have it in nude, which is a lie, because they have it in peach, which is not nude for me. That's racist. What they actually have in nude for me is chocolate. They have it in chocolate, they have it in white person nude, and they have it in black. And maybe he wanted to go wild and get a red one. Well, guess what? That doesn't hold anything. Just absolutely, it's like having a fucking hairnet around your boobs and then being like, oh, look, it's cute, and it's big. So I hate bra shopping. Uh, thank you for hearing that. Um, I do. I fucking hate it. Yeah. Lane Bryant's a terrible place. You know, I, I just, I've never been, like, an especially thin person, which is fine. Like, I, whatever, man. Like, uh, you know. I don't, I don't give enough of a fuck to be, like, super healthy. But I just feel like mm, I just don't want shopping to be arduous. You know what I mean? Like, I find a pair of jeans I like. I wear it until I get a hole. I'll tell you specifically where. In my crotch, all right? There's a hole that you can get if your thighs are really big and they rub together, and it just erodes these pants. They've been holding up pretty well. But sometimes you just know that it's on the edge, and you're like, holy shit, I've had these jeans for two years. I have to find another pair of jeans. This is so awful. Uh, yeah, whatever, man. <laughs> I have one minute left. Thanks, Pam. Pam, has that ever happened to you with a pair of jeans? We just bonded. Yeah. So Mauricio sat back there uh, during New Zealand. Sa- I'm sorry, Terry, right? Terry Williams. All right, cool. Not that that's creepy that I remembered it. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I just alarmed myself. Um, Maybe I'm Jason Bourne, and I don't know. Like, I just have all these memory skills. Um, (laughs) 
Mauricio sat back there and told me about how he wasn't drunk after getting kicked out of five bars. And so now I'm going to make fun of you just a little bit, because I enjoyed sitting next to you, contrary to what you believe. I know you think I hate you. I don't. I just think... You're about to make fun of me. Does that mean I fucking hate you? No. No, that's not what that fucking means. Are you kidding me? If I make fun of people, now I hate them? If you make fun of me, I know it means that you care about me. Thank you, Pam. Jesus. No, it's all right. You could go cry yourself to sleep tonight because you think I hate you. That's fine. I just... <laughs> I just think it's funny that you call yourself... Okay, here's, here's the one thing I wanted to say, because you called yourself a Tupac of comedy. Have you ever seen a photo of Tupac with a hacky sack? <laughs> Fucking no! You've never seen a picture of Tupac with a hacky sack. That's... No. You made it up. It's all right. But I like your cardigan, and I like your style. And Pam, I like you a lot for letting me talk shit for however much time this was. You guys have been great. Thank you so much. My name is Dom. Dom Gallon, that's what it is, you guys. Uh, So this is the end of uh, comedy just because we can. If you want to listen to the next comedy just because we can, it will be on the 23rd with um, Andy Ficaro, who's coming with us from uh, Pennsylvania. So tonight was because of Terry Williams all the way from New Zealand. Clap it up, everybody. Yes! New Zealand, what? I hope you have a wonderful time here in the States, honestly. I hope that it's just super party all the way out. Uh, Coming up next right now is we're actually in Heterotopia. You guys, it is all about the world, and they are serious about it. They're going to tell you what's happening in the world. Heterotopia. Thanks so much for listening to comedy just because we can. Uh, Yay, clap for yourselves, and yay, Heterotopia next. Yay.
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another installation of Heterotopia. This is yours truly, DJ Ashok on the deck. I am uh, joined here in the studio with DJ Charles. What's happening, Charles? Hello. Hi, this is Charles. Uh, in the background there, you hear uh, Sigurus, an uh, Icelandic band. The uh, track is Osen Osen. And I uh, want to give a big shout-out right now as we start the show to Mutiny Radio for hosting Heterotopia for... Uh, Oh, pretty much the duration of its existence uh, following the implosion of Pirate Cat Radio, which was our original host. And uh, we love them because uh, all the, the collective of people that have uh, given their time, uh, the energy, the blood, sweat, and tears to keeping this uh, uh, people's radio outlet alive has uh, given us the ability for so many years to share with you the the music and the news and the politics and everything that we do so i want to give a big shout out uh plus there are uh many other incredible shows there's comedy there's open mics uh there's uh, other political spaces uh there's just just you, you really got to check it out www.mutinyradio.fm uh or come down for the live events like we just got through with uh, uh you can come down to 2781 21st street at florida come check it out but anyway this is heterotopia this is your international rendezvous every saturday night here at mutiny radio uh tonight uh, there is a lot going on in our world we're going to talk about proposed constitutional changes in algeria we're going to talk about uh, moroccan political prisoners we're going to talk about uh, the, the ongoing crisis in Burundi and maybe shed some light uh, uh, via uh, uh, Anne Garrison, uh, who uh, is just a, a brilliant independent journalist, uh, on, uh, you know, what's... Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft with 